Green Mountain Chronicles was originally produced for radio by the Vermont Historical Society in the 1980s. We're re-releasing them today as retro podcasts. Please note that any resources the podcast recommends may be out of date. We recommend you check out our website, vermonthistory.org, for the most up-to-date information. Green Mountain Chronicles number 22, Memories of Silent Cal. Democracy is not a tearing down, it is a building up. It is not denial of the divine right of kings. It supplements that same with the assertion of the divine right of all men. It 1923, and the death of Warren G. Harding from a cerebral embolism catapults Vermont-born Calvin Coolidge into the presidency of the United States. Coolidge is visiting his father, a farmer, storekeeper, postmaster, Vermont legislator, and notary public, when the news of Harding's death arrives in the early hours of August 3rd. The telegram came to uh, uh, Bridgewater, and there was, a, there was no telephone in Calvin's home. And uh, there, was a telegram, uh, there was a telephone in the store, but of course the store was closed. So the people came up by car from Bridgewater with the telegram saying that Harding had died. And Calvin, of course, was in bed. So he got up and got dressed. Hermione Pollard of Proctorsville is a cousin of the late president. He decided to ask his father to swear him in. And then his father swore him in, of course. And, of course, they had a lamp, because that's what they had. The historic scene of the elder Coolidge swearing in his son at 2.47 a.m. by the light of an oil lamp quickly became emblematic of the Coolidge presidency, with Calvin cast as the nation's taciturn, no-nonsense Yankee guardian. That reputation was well-deserved, according to some who knew or encountered Silent Cal in Vermont. Elizabeth Flanders Ballard, Mary Pratt, and Evelyn Whittemore recall the 30th president. Oh, he was a friend of my grandfather's. He wasn't very conversational, that's all I can say. He was very much of a wanter, and uh, he was of the quiet type and no frills. Uh, uh, very plain speaking and plain uh, in his uh, living. He was a bashful kid, shy. I remember my dad saying, Evelyn Whittemore's father, Julian Hall, was Coolidge's boyhood friend and the president's fishing partner. They were fishing, like I say, whenever he'd come up fishing. Uh, my dad would let him, you know, go ahead with it, and he'd fish behind him. Well, uh, this day, he said to my dad, he called him Julia, he says, how come? He says, I go ahead of you, and I don't get any fish. You go behind me, and you get them. Well, he says, I use a whole worm on the hook. Journalist George Seldes of Heartland, however, encountered a different side of Calvin Coolidge. Seldes was covering the aftermath of the Russian Revolution for the Chicago Tribune when he was expelled from the Soviet Union and summoned to Washington by the president. For about an hour, that man asked me the most intelligent questions about Russia that I have been asked since I returned from there. No newspaper man could have asked, who'd lived there or worked there, could have asked more intelligent questions. This myth of silent cow is absolutely just one of the myths that grows up, you know, and you can't stop it. He was the most one of the most intelligent and the finest men I ever met in the presidency. After completing Harding's term, Coolidge was re-elected in 1924. 
His presidency was marked by restoring integrity to government after the Teapot Dome scandals of Harding's administration and by a conservative approach to both domestic and international issues. He declined to seek a second full term in 1928 with the famous statement, I do not choose to run, handed to a reporter on a scrap of paper. Yet he enjoyed great popularity. He thought that you got along with as little government as possible. He talked with enough people so that he was aware of their sentiments so that when he got around to say, I think it would be a good idea to do this, he was with the people so that practically everything that he suggested went through. Thanks for listening. This podcast was remastered by me, Amanda Gustin, and released by the Vermont Historical Society. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe to get future episodes and rate and review it. Please also check out our website, vermonthistory.org, where you can find background information on these episodes, as well as other ways you can learn about Vermont history from home. The Vermont Historical Society relies on support from generous donors to preserve and share Vermont's stories. During these uncertain times, your support is needed now more than ever. Please consider donating today at vermonthistory.org slash donate.